Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and right around the world. As usual, it's a big welcome to AFL legend Warren Treadray. G'day, Dion. As we know, it's all about the world game right now, or as the Aussies call it, soccer. Certainly is. Australia might be out of the World Cup, and we'll get to that shortly, but uh, it has scored a massive own goal in the A-League after an astonishing announcement to sell hosting rights for the next three A-League Grand Finals to New South Wales. Talk about it. We've got a man who follows the game very closely and broke the massive story about the Australian Professional League's dastardly act. Adam Peacock is a long-time Fox Sports presenter and now sports journalist with Code Sports. Thanks for joining us, Adam. No worries, guys. Good to be here. You broke the incredible story about plans to sell the A-League Grand Finals for the next three years to the New South Wales government in a deal worth $10 million. Could you believe your ears when you heard it? I thought at the time when it came through, I went, oh, okay, this is not going to be well received outside of New South Wales. Look, full disclosure, I was born in Sydney. I was, um, I think I was bred in Sydney too, but I grew up in Sydney and have lived here all my life. So, I mean, you won't find a bigger Sydney sider than me, but even I looked at that and went, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but, you know, you get the information, you want to break the story, so break the story. And then the fallout since, I think it's it's shocked everyone what a, uh, a raging bonfire it's become very, very quickly. Do you think it's justified? Um, we've seen players come out and talk about being outraged. Um, even Wikipedia's been hacked, calling the Australian Professional League that was set up effectively FIFA in disguise. I know a lot of fans are filthy, and I know me, an Adelaide boy who saw United a few years ago at a packed Adelaide Oval, did sit back and go, ouch. Yeah, I, I do think it's justified because when it gets down to it, it's about fans. And fans like tradition that they can relate to. And they can relate to the, the tradition of this A-League Grand Final hosting rights mechanism that's been in place for 18 years because it's based on meritocracy. It's based on whoever finishes higher on the ladder, that team that makes the Grand Final, the highest position team, gets to host the Grand Final. And we've been around the country. I was there in Adelaide that day, Treaders. I've been up to Brisbane, I've been to Perth, I've been to Melbourne a few times. Even Newcastle hosted a Grand Final once, a few in Sydney as well. They're magnificent events. They're big events. Everyone gets behind them and there's a real flavor about it now when you take away that ability to earn the right of what in the 18 years previous has been the case yeah there's going to be some issues and yeah when it gets back to it it's it's about the fans and their right to have a say and they don't have a seat at the board they don't have a say in the day-to-day running of an organization but they can hold organization administrations to account by doing what they're planning this weekend. As we sit here right now, they're planning to stage a boycott, a walkout of the Melbourne Derby and a few other games this weekend. So in the end, they do have the power. It's an extreme power that they've got, and they don't utilise it very often, but I can understand it. Now, is it just about money, or is we need to look a bit further than that and say this game needs to be grown because you've got no greater sport from a 
junior level. You know, you talk about people playing the game, but it's not mm. translating it, it terms into senior players, uh, as we've seen, because there's a lot of co- competition in ARL, NRL, basketball, the whole lot. AFL. If there was no yeah. AFL, it would be a top 10 nation, I reckon, with the uh, the similar athletes that are required in the two sports these days. But that's that's the environment we live in, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But, yeah, it's um, it's – it's a frustrating decision off the back of the World Cup where there was a lot of a lot of momentum behind the sport. And we, we we all realize whether you like the sport or you dislike the sport but kind of respect it, that man, there's there's a big opportunity. We don't need to be a Brazil and produce fifteen thousand players playing around the world per year. That's never gonna happen. But what we can do is get the most of what we've got. And we do have the biggest participation in Australian sporting in the, in the Australian sporting community. So there's enough there to make do with what we've got. We've just got to do it in a better way. And now where the A-Leagues fit in this is that they run the big elite academy. So they need money to do that. So yes, it does come back to dollars and cents, but how much is tradition and how much is trust with your fan base worth? I don't think you can put a figure on it. And I think they've found out that it's, it's probably north of uh, what they're getting from the New South Wales government. Classic case, isn't it? And we've seen it from uh, soccer, football so often in the past, two steps forward, three steps back. Um, And it's not just the fans who are up in arms. Players are pushing back as well. We're very um, vocal on social media. Do you think the APL perhaps uh, didn't read the room when uh, when they arrived at this decision? Oh, I reckon they read it, but they underestimated what the reaction was going to be. That They anticipated there was going to be blowback on this, but to, to the degree and the ferocity and the quickness of everyone mobilising against it, no, they, they couldn't have. And already we're seeing, again, as we sit here right now, it's a rapidly evolving story that um, people are jumping off. Anthony DiPietro, who's the chairman of Melbourne Victory, great operator, good guy, loves his football. He said, look, I don't want to be a part of the seven-person APL board anymore. I'm going to step away from this. So, yeah, there's, there's cracks appearing. I don't know how quickly they become crevices if they do become crevices and if there is a turnaround in the actual decision we'll wait and see with that but it does get it's another lesson for administrations that if you do not listen to the person who is sitting at the back of the grandstand whatever sport you're talking about if you're out of touch with them it's going to come back and bite you on the backside yeah it's no doubt it happens at every game let's be honest it happens in the afl uh, we've seen nrl we've seen the whole lot if you don't mm. communicate you uh you uh, get what's coming to you. But uh, we saw in the last 48 hours, particularly CEO Danny Townsend cop a wrath. You mentioned Del Pietro stepping down. You're the man who broke this story. Mm. Do you know the real story or who's telling fibs or what? Because at the moment it just seems like a gift that keeps giving because no one really wants to own it. Yeah, I never really got into the the series House of Cards, but I understand that was a pretty good political thriller. And this this has the makings of a pretty good political thriller because there's a bit of – there's a lot of toing and froing going on behind the scenes at the moment in terms of who knew what, how it was communicated to whom and what was communicated. And now the fallout is people jumping off the the APL boat, if you like, in DiPietro, who we've mentioned. So, no, I – I don't know the full story, the whole story, who knew what, because that's that's key here. Like who knew what going in? It, it, you can have the reaction after it because a lot of it is based on fan reaction. It's like, okay, well, essentially club owners, whoever they are, they're like politicians, they're, they're, they're populists. They, they want to do – they don't want to upset the people who are basically feeding them and that's the, the big fan base. So, yeah, I, I'm intrigued to, to see exactly what went down and, and it will come out. It might take a day, it might take a week, it might take a month, but it will come out. 
So whether this goes ahead or not, Adam, um, you know, how much damage do you think this is actually potentially going to do to the sport off the off the back of the the World Cup where everyone was talking the game, and now it's just we're, we're losing that momentum? Um, how much potentially? How damaging could this be? It feels like the worst thing in the world at the moment. If, like like you're in the middle of a storm and you, you're being dumped on, or there's hail falling, you think, "Well, I'm not going to get a suntan anytime soon." It, but it, if it clears and it clears quickly, look, the fact is, we're still going to have six games of football this weekend, and the football is going to be decent. Graham Arnold said it at the World Cup that the A League's totally underestimated in the eyes of many in Australia because it's viewed against a La League or a Premier League when it's simply not that, but it still is a very, very good league where players can immediately transition out of into European leagues. Um, So those games will still happen. I'll still be watching the games as such, but it it will be a major, major distraction if it's not sorted out and it will continue to be a major, major distraction and fair enough too for as long as it goes on. Well, you follow this uh, more so than probably any media person. You know, obviously the last 10 years or so with Fox, now with Code Sports. And I know if the person listening to this driving their car goes, is he serious about this question? But you know soccer better than anyone. Have far this, do they have their act together in terms of like we've seen every football uh, FFA change. They've split with the A-League and they've split with the Socceroos. It seems like they're trying to get things right. But do you think fundamentally they're on the right direction going forward? Oddly enough, like a week ago after Australia went out to Argentina, we we were thinking, okay, well, how's the game going to capitalise on this? And I, I tried to, with everything, you try to take a step back and give it a, let emotion run its course, but have a a wider look. And when I was looking at it, I thought, well, in 2006, I'm not sure that the game was ready to capitalise on the great success of the Socceroos making the knockout stages of a World Cup because um, we weren't going to be hosting a Women's World Cup like we are next year. The A-League was being run by the FFA and it was basically been done in-house by a small team. Now we've got the A-Leagues and the APL, and this decision aside, they're, they're trying their best and they've got full focus on their own competition, which wasn't wasn't the case with the FFA in 2006. And then the FFA in 2006 decided to, oh, let's bid for a Men's World Cup. And how'd that end up in 2010? That's how yeah. we ended up in Qatar this year. So yeah. there, there were plenty of distractions. I, I just think that the game at the Football Australia level, at the A-Leagues level, it's in a better place this decision aside, to take care of what needs to be taken care of. Now, development is a big thing that still needs a lot of focus. But, yeah, I I do feel that that there is a a chance to make things a more sustainably better picture for the sport in Australia off the back of the the Socceroos. It doesn't feel like it at the moment with this grand final decision, but hopefully get through this and and we'll continue on that path. Well, Adam... uh... Let's talk uh, World Cup. You were there uh, not that long ago. 18 games you're lucky enough to see. Incredible um, fortune and uh, to, to take all that in. But tell us, what was the World Cup like mm. from an event management sort of a perspective? Uh, because there's been lots of talk about uh, they're doing this wrong, they're doing that wrong. How did you uh, see it from that point of view? Yeah, the, the, I think a lot of the talk was about having it in a place like Doha and having seven or eight stadiums just pop out of the desert dust and they were built by migrant workers and there were deaths along the way. And and they were absolutely reasonable stories and takes leading in. I did get the feeling on the ground that the, the people, the locals, those 
who are tied to you know Middle Eastern culture from the Arab world are very, very annoyed at the Western media's portrayal of what happens in their backyard as opposed to some of the things. And that was the basis of Gianni Infantino's extraordinary speech on the eve of the World Cup, I, the, the one, I am Arab, I feel disabled, I feel this, I feel that. It was a weird way of putting it, but that was the basis of that. That's how they felt. Um, on the ground, as a football experience, fantastic. It was a big event. FIFA, like an Olympic Games, you, you ferried around, you, you get the right transport, you, you get looked after, everyone's there to help you, you've got plenty of volunteers who are smiling. So in that respect, it was no different. It was absolutely no different to any other big event. But around that, the, the people of Doha I found friendly and open and happy to talk about the issues, and I'm talking about some well-off people who get around in Thobes and they're the Arab, they're the 300,000 um, Qatari nationals who get citizenship. They get, uh, they don't have to pay tax. They get free healthcare, they get free education, great job, cushy life. Talking to them and then talking to migrant workers as well. Um, fascinating place of this crossover and it feels like the gold rush era there with the resources that they've got they're pulling out of the sea with the gas that everyone's there to make a buck. What about the uh, fan experience? You know, we talk about there's expensive alcohol, no alcohol, alcohol, alcohol back in, um, lower grade accommodation. I know as Western media, we can pick the eyes out of it. You were there. What did you see? And did you see the fans mm. embrace it? Because everything I saw on the coverage suggested the Aussies were having a wow of a time. Yeah, we, we, we'd have fun in a phone box, wouldn't we? Um, <laughs> the, the, Australian, uh, <laughs> the Australian guys, no, they, they can find a beer. You, you can find a beer. They just didn't want it. The way they do it over there, they, they're a, a society tied to Islamic values, and but they want to westernise, but they don't want to westernise on anyone else's terms but their own. So yeah. they'll keep the bars away in five-star hotels, well off, no advertising of alcohol, no no hint that when you walk into a five-star hotel that there's actually a nightclub upstairs. And they are. There, there is. You can get a beer, but it costs you about 20 to $25, which is about Sydney prices almost. So there's, there's that side of things. And... Yeah, the, the, the fan experience, like we stayed in like middle class, a middle class area in an apartment and it was comfortable. It wasn't it wasn't palatial. It wasn't a tent that some fans were staying in, but it felt like everyone was pretty happy to be there because they were there for the football. And once the football started, it took everyone's attention and everyone was transfixed on it and it was very, very enjoyable to watch. But yeah, th- those issues around it, 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 they'll stick me with with me for a while. Some of the things that um, you take in. It was uh, certainly some negative coverage uh, out here in terms of you know the tragic news that a couple of journalists um, lost their lives over there, uh, Adam. Mm. Um, what was your uh, take uh, just walking around the uh, the cities, the grounds in terms of you know, safety? Did you did you feel safe? Were you, did you ever feel threatened in any way? I feel more threatened on a Tuesday night walking down Rondell Mall than I would walking through Doha, honestly. Um, I, I pin it to a Sydney perspective, walking down the Corso on a Thursday night. It's in Manly. It's um, safe. I felt completely safe. Granted, I'm a middle-aged white man who is six foot, so I'm not exactly your target if you if you if you want to get into to any kind of crime i had no hint of any crime whatsoever no hint of anyone feeling unsafe or unwelcome whatsoever and i'm including gay people in this as well and obviously they have very different rules i, I heard of one story that a, a, 
a gay man um, from Australia who has lived there for six years. He lives in an apartment with his boyfriend. It's just a two-bedroom apartment and they just say they're friends. So they, they can exist, but I'm, I'm not saying that that absolves all the ills and all the reportage of that particular issue, but that's just one perspective that I picked up. But, yeah, totally safe, no no qualms about walking around at 2 o'clock in the morning or anything like that. It was, it was all good. Um, key takeaways, because it's not often we see a World Cup where you split the European season and we plonk a World Cup in the middle. Uh, we talk about mm. temperature in Qatar. Do you think there's a future for similar countries to Qatar to host the World Cup going forward? Or do you think it's a... a a bridge too far going forward with the big European seasons all interrupted. It won't happen anytime soon because the European seasons, uh, the European clubs were just absolutely filthy that they had to pause their seasons and, and fair enough too. But it will happen again because there's too much money in that region. Um, I, I'm certain that Saudi Arabia will host a World Cup before I trot off into the, the afterlife um, and it might be in within the next 15, 20 years, if not sooner, but that, that'll be the next one because they've just got so much money and they can afford to put on any event. They will look at Live Golf. I mean, they can just afford to burn cash and in pursuit of, of a few blokes hitting a little white ball around a golf course. So, yeah, I can see that happening. Um, it, and I did like the fact that it, Another thing about Doha, there was a lot of North African expats. There were 40,000 Tunisians live there, 50,000 Moroccans live there. Look, look at their experience and, and what they've been able to do. And those atmospheres inside the grounds when they were playing was as good as anywhere you'd ever experience, and I'm including your great grounds in South America and, and Europe. So, yeah, it, it was different. I can see it happening again. Um, and the next World Cup is across three countries as opposed to one city, so a completely different experience. But I'd say 2030, 2034, you, you, you'd be looking at the regions where, um, yeah, the, there's a bit of money floating around, put it that way. Let's talk Socceroos, Adam. Um how uh, how impressed were you by uh, by what they uh, achieved, and should we be expecting them to get back there? What, what are we? Where, where will they be in four years' time? Yeah, that they've, they've got the chance. It's not like about eight of them are going to retire and not make the next World Cup, or ten of them. They're pretty young profile across the board. There's a couple of positions where like players like Aaron Moy, Matt Leckie, Aziz Bayich, Jackson Irvine will be reaching, if not already there, at the end of their career. So they might be, need replenishment in that regard. But it, it's a young group on the whole and there's a lot of excitement. There's a few others coming through. that The next batch aged 18 to 22, there's a bit of talent there, especially if we can convince someone like Christian Volpato, who's over at Roma, who, who turned down the chance to get into the squad. And I reckon when he was sitting there at the uh, Darling Harbour fan experience, when he's back in Sydney on a break from his Italian club, he's thinking, have I made the right call here? So hopefully he comes to the party. Um, but yeah, that, I, I think we're a chance of it looking pretty bright for the next four years and, and maybe outdoing what we did at this World Cup. That's now the expectation. And the, the togetherness of the group was incredible. I've, I've never seen a sporting team come together like that. And the man who can lay claim to doing that is Graham Arnold. Your take on him, extending him to the next World mm. Cup and beyond, has he done enough in your eyes? Because a lot of people were talking negatively and they quickly jumped on the bandwagon when we did well. Yeah, I, I think that World Cup made everyone understand what Arnie was trying to convince everyone of that he was what he was trying to do with that team for the last 12, 18 months. And that's, look, we've got guys who aren't playing in the top leagues. So what's what's our calling card? What do we have? What can we control? And it's being as one. It's creating a band of brothers. It's creating a group so tight that it can't be infiltrated by any outside force. 
and they're working for each other. They know exactly what their plan is, and it it came off so well. He 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 was brilliant at that, Graham Arnold. And I think it has given him, or not think I know it has given him all the power in the negotiation process now. And it's going to take something quite weird. And weird things happen in football, as we've discovered this week, that he misses out on being the Socceroos coach going forward. Now, I don't know how they set the deal up, but he can ask a pretty high price as well. And I think Football Australia would find it difficult to not offer him that price that he's asking. And arguably with Ange Postacoglu's success, he's probably put himself in the frame for some European gigs too. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I think... If he did go to Europe, Holland would be the place because he has a history of playing there. Uh, he knows a lot of people involved in, in the Dutch football circles, namely Gus Hiddink from 2006. So, yeah, absolutely. If he if he wants to go down that path, he will. But I don't know. I, I just feel that a lot of people were saying, oh, he, he can't do what he did this time. Don't do it for a second time. He won't be able to surpass this. And I'm like, why not? He's done it once. If, you've, if I'm a big believer, if something's happened once, it can happen again. So yeah, I I, I can't see why. It, it's up to him. He might have a reason why he wants to walk away. It was a hard gig for him, but the, hopefully there won't be another pandemic in the next four years. He won't have to deal with that. So tying in the Socceroos' success at the World Cup and this recent A-League debacle, etc., and all the other moving parts in Australian soccer, what do you think needs to happen for the sport to really thrive in the next, you know, three, four, five, ten years? Yeah, so at, at an administration level, Football Australia, and they are putting the foot down with this, I know this for a fact, that um, Football Australia need to link up heavily with government uh, need to link up heavily with the commercial world, and that is happening. Their balance sheet looks better than pre-pandemic levels, which is which is great. At the A-League's level, the same thing needs to happen. They probably have to have stay more in touch with the fans have they, have they've, um, as they've learnt this week. Development, that's a key. If And I keep on saying it, if, if we develop players that can play on the world stage and succeed at a World Cup, everything spins off the back of that. All the other little elements are supplementary, to that one key fact. So plunge your, your resources and attention into developing good junior national youth teams in under 17s, 20s and 23s, um, getting a proper youth league set up, giving the A-leagues the, the the power to be able to have a competition. For me, it's it's player-driven and they've, they've got to really pay attention to that, that player aspect and all that commercial and government support. A politician loves putting on a scarf when things are going well. So um, that all spins off the back of it. Now, personally, Adam, um, we've, you've joined Code Sports. You're at seven for a long time, or recently the face of Fox Sports, running football and tennis and everything. Have you enjoyed the transition out of TV and into Code Sports and, and the reason for doing that, or, or is it just following the world game or different opportunities presented at different times? Yeah, it was, it was just an opportunity that popped up and the time was at an end at, at Fox Sports and they lost the rights to the football, lost the rights to the tennis. So it was like, you don't really have much for you anymore. So it was like go off into the big wide world and go job hunting. And I was fortunate that a guy called Alex Brown, who's the editor of Code Sports, um, one of the best operators going around when it comes now to digital media was in newspapers. Um, joined up with him, um, great crew, small crew at Code. We do it a bit differently. It's not your your kind of headline grabbing stuff or it's not your day-to-day news. It's got that, but got the chance to do analysis. And, and if I want to write 1,500 words on 
um, development practices in Australian youth football, I can do it if you like. I don't know if anyone's going to read it, but it's going to make me feel good. So, um, no, it's it's um, it's a different gig. It, it's taken a bit of learning and getting used to, but um, I'm actually enjoying it. And uh, yeah, I can always get back into broadcasting with either radio or or uh, or television at a later date. But at the moment, focus on code. A-League and Soccer Australia has moved from Foxtel uh, to Channel 10, uh, from Channel 10 to Foxtel and 10 to Paramount. How do you see that un- going down for soccer? Has it been a good thing or uh, has it sort of uh, stymied the momentum a little bit, do you think? Yeah, whatever I say here, I'm going to look biased because I worked on one and I'm not working <laughs> on the other and it looks like I've, I'm having a go because I missed out on it. But yeah, in all seriousness, um, look, that. I'll admit the last two years of the Foxtel deal, it wasn't quite what it was previously and um, things were, were stripped away and it, and it didn't look like it once did at the Zenith, which was probably 2012 to 2015, 16. Um, we were doing things on a grand scale and it was going well. And then the Premier League went away and the case is now is that Paramount is a startup and it's it's not good enough, unfortunately, as a, as a service. I'm a fan now. I'm trying to watch games on the weekend. There's buffering. I can't pause, rewind. Um, I'm not having a go at the, the actual production of what they're doing editorially. I'm just having a go at the technology, and it's it's frustrating. It's holding the game back, so they've got to sort it out. And take that a little further, where do you see coverage of media going? We see a lot of digital in the digital space at the moment, and, and arguably you'd, you'd, you'd say that in, for example, AFL, which I follow pretty closely, because of the rights are so big, the product struggles. Is that fair in terms of the production mm. and, the, and the concept? And where is it headed? Do you think it's digital space and away from free-to-air? Uh, yeah, yeah. There'll always be a free-to-air component, I think, in Australia in particular because there's always that notion that I should be able to watch my sport for free, which I get. But, yeah, the, digital platforms are absolutely the future. I'd, I'll be fascinated to see which code or which sport of a bigger nature puts itself on YouTube first. YouTube, uh, I don't know if you guys have got kids, I've got a four under 18. That's all they watch. Yep. They wouldn't even consider chucking on a seven, nine, ten. It's YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. And it's just the algorithm spins through the videos that kind of suit them. And yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see what code will take the plunge and maybe not all, but some go, here you go, you can watch it on YouTube, but bite size is the key and mini matches in football have worked so well and everyone's doing minis now and everything's tailored towards, oh, tick, like when I was in Doha, work called me and said, oh, can you start doing TikToks for us? I'm like, what? <laughs> you, you want a 44-year-old male to do start doing TikToks? But that that's what they want. They, 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 they want to feed that element which just walks around with a phone all day and stares at it. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely there, but it's, it's an ever-changing landscape and it's going to look entirely different in 10 years than what it does now. So you folded and gave it to them. Is that what happened? Yeah, well, I had to. They were paying me to be there. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I didn't start dancing or anything, Dion, but it was, uh, it was just very factual. It was, I was just kind of trying to keep it straight and narrow. Adam, they say, you know, get a sport, build it, make it entertaining. It's going to work. Hmm. Is it as simple as that, do you think? No, you've got to – I think – Somewhere along the lines to make it, to build it, you've got to have some kind of mass market appeal and entertaining is one thing but compelling is another. You've got to have narratives and, and in that is the the storylines of the players but I think the, the way that the competition is set up and how it unfolds and what 
each game means moving forward to a crescendo, whether it be the final game of the season, a final, a grand final, whatever. But yeah, it's um, it's those moments, and and if you drag people in, and give them things that take them away from whatever they're thinking, whatever the baggage they came in with to the ground, or whatever baggage they'll have tomorrow, and f- make them forget for a moment. Um, that's the key. And if you can if you can find as many of those as possible through entertainment and entertainment I think purely and and I, I think it gets a bit lost because you go to a game now and I've had it at the World Cup that you go into the game you're just being yelled at by MCs you've been overblown by music and you know, like light shows and everything like that okay. the, the, the key is yeah the key is what happens whether it be in that 90 minutes the two hours the five days over a test whatever that's the key so produce good players produce good characters through the game and i think you're on your way got to have what we were talking about too before i reckon a bit of integrity don't you you've got to have that and and you've got to have uh you've got to have Mm. people who have a real reason to want to be there and i guess that drags back to you know long-time support of uh of of clubs and don't bullshit them that's a key yeah (laughs) don't bullshit people transparency exactly Adam, it's been great talking to you, mate. I uh, really appreciate your time. Um, thanks so much for joining us uh, here on uh, The Big Deal uh, and look forward to uh, seeing exactly what happens uh, in this uh, incredible uh, situation with the A-League. Thanks to, uh, to you too, Treaders, uh, for joining us uh, on The Big Deal. If you'd like to uh, send Treaders any questions, please send them uh, to him and we'll address them uh, uh, in the very near future at thebigdeal.au where we'll keep you up to date with the business of sport and keep an eye on our new on our weekly newsletter as well we'll catch you next time thanks uh, thanks for joining us before you go don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more join me at www.thebigdeal.au